Welcome to the season finale of the Sphera series here at the Database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. You are listening to Week 7, the week of Malchus. And with that, boy, do we have a lot to discuss, and we actually have some loose ends that we must tie up this week. It is the season finale, after all. Before we do that, let us first thank our sponsors, Leoli Nishmas, Shmuel Menachem ben and Leah Bas Avraham. So thank you to Anonymous for that sponsorship. And thank you to Yona and Chani Laster, the second-time sponsorship. Anyone else who wants to donate and to sponsor and to dedicate in honor of whatever it may be, please reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's thedatabase, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com to make your sponsorship today or tomorrow or whenever. Now, in terms of the Mida and the Sphira of Malchus, so obviously... Um, this is the week where we have to wrap everything together and understand the efforts of our of our um, work and, and our progress on improvement and our tikkun hamidos um, in terms of the spheros. So here's where everything once again has to come together. But not only that, when we get to the final of the 48 Kenyane Torah, so I'll just let you in a little early that I made an uncomfortable discovery that really anybody could have, could have observed on their own if they just looked at the Brysa in Perkeavos. So we know that um, throughout this series we have been working on understanding the 48 Kinyane Torah, right? The chapter, or the sixth chapter of Avos, which is really a separate chapter, it's Brysos, it's not really Mishnayos. But the sixth chapter of Perkyavos is known as Kenyan Torah, the way of acquiring the Torah. And in the sixth Brysa, in that chapter, the um, the, 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 the Brysos of Perkyavos, so in that sixth chapter, they um, enumerate the, at least what the, what the Brysa refers to as the 48 Kenyan Torah, which are either acquisitions, like their, their modes of acquiring the Torah, or they are, th- they are treasures that you acquire with Torah. Now, what we're going to see is it's not so simple that there are really only 48. So we'll have to come back to that as we finish the Kinyane Torah this week and also to try to understand a little bit. Um, firstly, how many Kinyane Torah are there actually? And second of all, we have to also try to understand why, in fact, only 48 were enumerated in the Brysis of Perkeavos, when, you know, throughout Sirasa Omer, we're looking at a 49-day, at least, a 49-day count. So it would have been much more convenient, you know, considering that um, there might even be more than 48 Kinyanim, it would have been much more convenient for there to at least have been 49 enumerated explicitly. And so I guess the question is, why couldn't Chazal you know, put it together so that if it's so true that Sfirasa Omer is the way of working towards Mamnat and Tarasenu and creating the reality of Kabbalah Satora, why they couldn't just list one more or at least state it in the Bryasus that there are 49. So we'll have to come back to that. But first, let's talk a little bit about the Midah of Malchus. So the Midah of Malchus, I have to say, is perhaps more dubious than any of the spheros that we've talked about until now. So just to review, we spoke about the partnership 
and the clash, perhaps, um, but really the balance of chesed and gvura. Um, chesed has, it comes from ahava, gvura comes from yira. They're connected to Avraham and Yitzchak. Then we spoke about the actual, um, the, the actual um, synthesis of the two, which is Tiferes, also associated with Torah, Ms and Rachamim, and obviously connected to Yaakov Avinu. And we worked very hard on explaining what all of those ideas mean together. And then we spoke about the second pair of Netzach and Hod, which we've translated loosely as um, resilience and submission, which seemed also to be opposites. And we spoke about, in the synthesis of the two of them, Yesod, how to understand how the two can work together, the eternality of Netzach, and the, the, the submission and the nullification of Hod. So we, and so uh, we saw that last week with Yesod. Netzach is typically um, co- um, it's represented by Moshe Rabbeinu, Hod corresponds to Aaron Cohen, and Yesod corresponds to Yosef at Sadik. And um, this is obviously the Kabbalistic um, breakdown. And, um, you know, when you think of the Ushvizen, so there's the chronological breakdown and there's the Sphira breakdown, right? So Yosef, in all of these versions, comes after Aaron, uh, after Moshe and Aaron. And um, maybe for a different time, why that might be. Um, it's, it's beyond the scope of our discussion here. But now finally we get down to the bottom. The, to the bottom of the spheros, and that is Malchus. And Malchus um, naturally corresponds to David HaMelech, the final of the seven Rowan. Now, as we keep on saying in this series, we're not focusing on delving into the Kabbalistic understanding of the spheros, which is beyond um, my a base of knowledge, and my assumption is it's beyond the 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 the, the knowledge of most of my listeners, um, which is um, you and everyone else listening. So, assuming that we're all in that crowd, we're just trying to figure out how these midos correspond to um, I'll call it real life um, attributes that we can work on ourselves and understand. Um, you know, in, in, in our in our Vodas Hashem, in our Voda, in engaging with other people. And we're going to try to do that as well here. But what's complicated is this Midah of Malchus, which is much more dubious and, and, and more complicated to really comprehend than all the previous ones. But we're going to do our best. Um, you know, but we're, you know, we're, not, we're not going to venture into the other... Um, Three spheros of the Kesar Chachma Bina Das, which is very much beyond the scope of what we're doing. But just so, just so you understand, well, um, where you know where we're headed right now, we're headed into somewhat complicated territory once again. But when we talk about Malchus, Malchus seems to be the only one from my basic research. Um, even though the other spheros, the other six spheros, are basically emanations from Hashem. There are ways that Hashem relates to the world. Malchus is apparently altogether different. Malchus is not actually what, um, what we find 
uh, from Hashem, the way Hashem relates to the world. But Malchus is um, it's explained as the Mida of communication, and it is actually a reflection of the Shechina from below. Now, what does that mean? Very simply, to take a very complicated subject and state it very simply, the idea of Malchus is that we actually form the complete mirror of what Hashem is up in Shemayim, and we reflect it back at Hashem, as it were. Now, if we can put this in other words, I would refer to this as the complete emulation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like the idea of Mahu Rachum, so also we are Rachum, right, that we, that we mimic, we imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it were, to, to, um, to take the Midos that he models and then to do them all. But the Mida of Malchus is specifically the part of this world that reflects back at HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, his Midos. And that's the idea of the communication. It's us, um, in a sense, emanating back at Hashem. And the way to do that, presumably, is through engaging with Hashem. Now, Malchus literally means kingdom or kingship or royalty. And that is essentially how we, as people, how, how, how we reflect back at Hashem. It comes from us living to that higher standard. And there's really only one way to elevate ourselves above all else, to elevate ourselves other all species, to elevate ourselves other all peoples, and that is through the, the, the complete Tikkun HaMidos, taking all of the Midos that we've been working on, right, and then completely rectifying them. And in so doing, the ultimate emulation of Hashem is striking the perfect balance of all the Midos that we've been talking about. So, between Chesed, Vurat, Feres, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, all of those things, having all of those things in line and in order, everything exactly where it belongs, that's the way to, to not just have the foundation and have the splendor that is befitting of, of being a subject of Hashem, but it actually means ruling over ourselves, ruling over our inclinations, having that malchus, and that's the ultimate emulation of Hashem, is to manifest malchus down here. Malchus meaning the dominion over our yetzer. The dominion over every midah. There's no midah that's out of line. Everything is in place right where it belongs. And by the way, that happens through engaging in the Torah. David HaMelech also, um, just like Yaakov Avinu in his own way, Yaakov Avinu corresponds to Torah and MS and Rachamim and Teferas. But there's a, a fuller manifestation of Torah, perhaps, that we find in David HaMelech. Uh, David HaMelech in Tehillim Kufiud Tess 119, the longest parak in Tehillim, which is 176 psukim. Um, so that, that, that chapter in Tehillim is just one example, one major example of David HaMelech's connection to the Torah. And you might say that it's not just the engagement in Limud HaTorah, but the idea of the Vaharevna, that the sweetness of Torah, the 
um, not just the learning, but but the real engagement, the amelos and the shashua, the the uh, the sporting in Torah. That Torah that my feet naturally carry me to the base measures because I just want to engage in Torah, and all I can talk about all day is the Torah. That that, that comes, um, you know, it's it's that um, relationship to Torah that we are trying to reach when we, you know, when we ultimately finish Svirah Saomer. That's also where Malchus is manifest. Because a person who has that connection to the Torah is the person who will see the Torah for everything that it has in it. And among those is the mode to rectifying every single midah. And the perfect balance of all of those midos represents the emulation of Hashem and represents the reflection of the Shekhinah from top down to bottom up. So that seems to be, if we can summarize what Malchus is. And it's a, it's a lofty goal. But it's, it's, it's the part of, it's, you know, it's the part of the world. It's the, the, the part of this planet Earth that's able to reflect back at Hashem. It's the part of the spheros where we emanate back at Hashem. So if there's any one mission that we have, it's to strike this Midah of Malchus, which once again represents the emulation of Hashem and the Tikkun of all the Midos that we can rectify. Okay, so with that, let's, let's return to the final Kenyane Torah. Now, here's the challenge that I started talking about before. So, as I was looking over the final seven Kenyanim, I realized there was more than seven left. What? Yeah. So, now, the truth is, I was hoping that there would only be six left, right? Because there, we know that there are, even though there are 49 days in the Omer, until now, we've said that there are 48 Kenyane Torah. This is what the Brysa says. It says it explicitly, that there are 48 Kenyane Torah, and here they are. And we started talking about all of them up until now, right? We spoke about, just to give you a little review, we spoke about... Where are they? Here they are. Talmud, Shmias Ozen, Arichas Fasayim, and Bina Salev, Sichla Salev, Ema, Yira. Then we spoke about Anava, and we, this is all now week two. Anava, Simcha, Tahara, Shimash Chachamim, Dikta Chaverim, Pilpul Talmidim, Yishevadas. Then in week three, we spoke about Mikra, Mishnah, Miat Schara, Miat Derecharetz, Miat Hanug, Miat Shena, Miat Sicha. Then in the week of Natsach, which is week four, we spoke about Miat Schok, Erechapayim, Lev Tov, Emunas Chachamim, Kabbalas Yisurim, Makiras Makomo, Sameach Bechalko. Then in week five, we spoke about Oses Yagla Dvarov, Eno Machzik Tov Laatzmo, Ahuv, and then in week six, last week, we spoke about And we said the last few in that set was the Chavero series, things that you do in terms of relating to your friend. Okay, so then we were going to continue this week with what would have been, I guess, Number 43, which would be Ma'amido al-Hashalom. Um, and the problem was, 
I saw not six more, not seven more, but I saw nine more. All right, let me just count that again just to make sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Right, and so that's obviously a problem, right? Because there's supposed to only be 48. But now it looks like there are 51. 51 Kinyane Torah, that's even more than the days of Shavuos, right? Because day 50 would be Shavuos, and then I guess 51 would be I guess Yom Tov Shani Shalgalos, but that doesn't really make much sense, uh, or maybe it does. Maybe maybe that's the that's the secret that we don't know about, right? That that really the the Bryces had in mind uh, the Yom Tov Shani Shalgalos, and really there are fifty one Kenyani Torah. Is that possible? So let me just uh, list to you what they are. We have Ma'amido Alashalam. We have Misyashiv Libo Betalmudo. We have Sho'el Umeshiv, Shomea Umosif, Halomid Almenas Lulamid, Halomid Almenas Lasos. We have Machimis Rabo, Hamachavin Es Shmuaso, and Omer Dover Beshem Omro. And that, all of that together equals 51. We'll talk about each one very soon, but we have to kind of deal with this problem, right? So, how are there 51 when the Bryce explicitly says that there are 48? That's one question. Question number two is a question that I had um, an answer very much prepared for this conversation, and that is, if Sirasa Omer is a 49-day process anyway, why couldn't Chazal just enumerate 49? And, say, and, and even though we're, we found 51 here, but Chazal could have said in the Brisa, here are the 49 Kenyanim, and in fact it didn't do that. And according to the, according to the, the intro to the list, there are only 48. So why did Chazal call it 48? I guess is question number um, question number one, really. Why didn't Chazal say there are 49 and then list 49? And the other question is, once Chazal are saying that there are only 48, why is it listing 51? So the simple answer to this question is that somewhere in the order, there must be a couple that were really meant to be combined. Right, so I counted 51, and in, I, I looked at multiple Mishnais, and I counted multiple times to make sure um, uh, that the number was exactly as I saw it, that there were 51 Kenyane Torah. And each Mishnais that I looked at even separates them with commas, which makes it very difficult to not see 51 Kenyanim. So what, you, what we're forced to say is that some of these Kenyanim were probably meant to be combined so that, um, let's say, we, so right now we have 51, but if you combine um, at least... Um, um, two, let's say you have two of them that are really one, and then you do that again, and then you have so you have four Kenyanim that are really two Kenyanim. So maybe that would be a way to get back to 48. And the question would just be which Kenyanim are meant to be combined? Because we had some that were in a series, maybe some from in the Chavero series are meant to be um, one Kenyan, maybe in the Miot series, there was. Um, um, or maybe the Ohave series, right? There was one set of Kinyanim that I wasn't sure in week uh, five. For example, Ohave Satsudakos, loving decency, and Ohave Samesharim, loving fairness. Those were two that I had trouble differentiating between and distinguishing between. So it could very well be that those were really meant to be one Kinyan. Maybe some among the Kinyanim that we're going to have today could have been really one and not two. So. If I've messed up your meditation, if I messed up your count, and you're working on uh, applying the Kenyanim, 
So I have to apologize, um, but I did not see that the, the, the Bryce itself looks like it has 51 when really there should have only been 48. So whatever it is, we're, whether it's 48, whether it's 51, we're going to talk about all of them, and then we're going to talk about the apparently missing Kenyan, which would have been Chazal's number 49, which is apparently not here. So let's talk about the Kenyanim that we have left. And if anyone has heard any answers to this question, because I looked it up, I really couldn't find Mepharshan that talked about it, I could not find anything even on the internet um, that, that fully gave an explanation to, to this question, but why does it seem to be that there are 51 Kenyanim when Chazal are only listing 48? Which are the Kenyanim that are really meant to be combined into to one Kenyan? So, um, I'm, you know, what, everything I told you just now was just me going off on a limb. Uh, if, if you hear something, please reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. Okay, let's talk about the final Kenyanim, however many there are. So the first that we have this week is the Kenyan of Ma'amido al-Hashalam. So we were, con- we're continuing the Havero series, right? In, in, on the, on the, one of the Kenyanim last week that began the Havero series, we said, No Seba'olim Havero, which was to carry the burden with your friend, the Midah manifested by Moshe Rabbeinu. Then we had Machriya Lekav Schus, which means to try to reveal um, the, the Schus that a person has um, in, instead of judging him without the benefit of the doubt, but you judge him favorably. Then we said Ma'amido ala MS, to position him on, on the MS, to kind of put him on the right derech. Now we have Ma'amido ala Shalom. Today's first uh, Kenyan is Ma'amido ala Shalom. To, to position him, to stand him up on the peace. So what exactly does that mean? I guess the derech hashalom, the, the path of peace. Now what does that refer to? If you look at Rashi, Rashi says that, for example, shalom refers to where you don't have one guy wins and one guy loses, but you have a pshara, you have a compromise. That sometimes, you know, even where you're, you're, you go for MS, you try to be on the right path, and sometimes you can say this is the legally correct path. He's right, he's wrong, he wins, he loses. But shalom looks past that. Shalom says, how, even, you know, how, how can we go How can we go in a way that everyone can leave somewhat happy because we, we struck the perfect compromise? And that's what Ma'amido al-Shalom is. To try to help your friend, lead him in the direction that will lead to everyone being happy, which, you know, on some level is, is not really always possible, but at the very least, you can make um, some, someone happier um, when and you can make most people happier when you are looking for the derech of shalom. So being ma'amido ala shalom. The second Kenyan for today is misyashev libo betalmudo. Now what exactly does that mean? So let's try to break this down. Misyashev means to be um, relaxed and calm. And usually that means to the end of, of being deliberate, that you do things the right way in the measured way. Art scroll uses the word deliberate here. So you have the calmness that can lead to perfect deliberation. So, Mesiyashtiv Libo, in your heart or in your thinking, Betamudo, which um, Art Scroll, again, translates as deliberately thinking and study. Now, what does that mean? So, presumably, it means that you don't just make quick decisions, but it means that you actually give the time and thought to the, thing that, to the, to the content that you are learning, whether you're rendering a halakhic decision or you're just rendering a conclusion as you're learning. What did I just learn? What can I take from what I learned? What is the 
you know, what is the be-all, end-all of what I just learned? What is the right maskana or, or the right conclusion of what I just learned? And that's something that a lot of us, in our attempt to, quote-unquote, be yotze for learning, we might rush through Sogya, we might rush through Adaf of Gemara, we might rush through Shnai Mikravech and Targum, or reading through the Parsha, without actually thinking about the text that we are reading, rushing through the Rashis, and it's hard. It's really it's hard to be misyashiv liba betamudo, but to do that means that I think deliberately about what I'm learning. I draw the right conclusions, and I'm actually having a mindful process when I learn. So that and, and sometimes that takes a little bit of gavura. So um, if my calculation is correct, this would be the gavura of malchus. But then again, who knows what the calculation is with all of the the extra kinyanim that there seem to be here. The next kinyan for today is Shoel Meshiv. Now, maybe you've heard of the, of the individual in the base Medrash who's, a, who's known as the Shoel Meshiv. The word Shoel Meshiv literally means asks and answer. And the goal, maybe of a Shoel Meshiv in Yeshiva, is that he's someone that you can ask questions to and he will answer you. But when we talk about the kinyan of Shoel Meshiv, what we really mean is... Um, one, and this is one Kenyan, but it has two treasures in it. And these, again, are treasures that help you acquire Torah, and these are treasures that you gain from acquiring the Torah. And that is that you are able to ask a question and also to suggest an answer. And, you know, we, you know, we, th- we, we can naturally understand the skill of being able to suggest an answer to a question, right? You can, a lot of halacha is a riddle. And to be able to come up with the resolution to one of those Halachic riddles takes real talent, but sometimes and you might be surprised, but it takes real skill to know how to ask a question. They say um, that half of, or rather, they say that um, in halacha, for example, in Torah, the question is half of the answer. Which means that if the question is well formulated and you, get, you are given all of the facts of the case and, or you provide all the facts of the case, depending on whether you know, you're the Rav who's receiving the questions or you're the person who's asking the questions, all of the givens in the question, in the case, formulated properly, already leads you halfway to the answer. You now know what you are looking for. A person who does not know how to ask a question will not know how to find an answer. Right, like if you if you start off a question with, "What's the deal with this?" Right, what's the deal with, um, with with the Torah's attitude toward women? What's the deal with the Torah's attitude towards animal rights? Right, <laughs> whatever your question is. If you start off a question like that, that's not a question. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't begin to answer that because that's not a question. You got to give me a question. Shoel is the skill of asking a question, and Meshiv is the skill of of answering the question. You know, we think the the, the Shaina de la Shoel is someone who does not know how to talk, who is someone who's a baby. Um, I would say more simply, more fundamentally, and also more profoundly, that it's someone who you can talk just fine. But he doesn't really know how to formulate the question the right way to get the answer he, he needs. He leaves the Rav, who is asking the question to, confused, because the Rav doesn't know how to answer his question, because his question isn't even a question. There's a skill to asking a question. So Shoah Lumeshev, knowing how to ask and knowing how to suggest an answer. And that's one set. 
The next Kenyan is Shomea Umosif, another beautiful set. Shomea, someone who's able to listen, someone who's able to hear, take in, to understand, to internalize what he just heard. And Umosif means he's able to add on, to contribute to the conversation. Right, so two incredible, incredible skills, because sometimes you'll be having a conversation with someone, and it'll be very clear from the response that they were not listening to what you were saying. And they might veer off onto a different topic, changing the, changing the subject altogether. Shomea, I'm hearing what you are saying. I'm not, you know, I'm not ignoring you, and I'm not just nodding off. I'm, I'm hearing what you are saying, and that's best demonstrated by how I'm able to contribute to the conversation. What can I add further? And that, that, that is the skill here, that if I'm hearing what you are saying, now I can contribute to the conversation. Shoos, that's Shomea Umosif. The next Kenyan for today is Halomid Almanas Lilamid. And it could be, again, this one is paired with the next one. Vihalomid Almanas La Asos. The first one is learning on the condition to be able to teach. And the second one is learning on the condition to be able to do, to perform the mitzvahs themselves. So when we talk about these two, so there's an earlier mission in Perkiavos which actually talks about these. For example, it says someone who learns for the sake of being able to teach, so he will be given the skills to and the, and the means to be able to learn and to teach and um, I believe to do. I have to find that Mishnah just to get the exact wording. Okay, so it's Perak Dalad Mishnah Vav, and it's Rabbi Shmuel Barabi He says, If he learns in order to teach, so he'll be given the means to learn and to teach. What about the person who studies or learns in order that he can do, to perform, to practice? So a person who is, who's in it to be able to do, he is someone who's going to be even given the means to teach, to, to be able to learn, to teach, and to do, and to withhold, right? Lishmur Velasos is, is one set of how to do the mitzvahs properly. Lasos refers to the mitzvahs asay, Lishmur refers to the mitzvahs losasay. Well, what's the point here? So part of acquiring Torah is not just learning in a vacuum or studying in a vacuum, right? Just the, the engagement in reading information, retaining information, processing information. Part of it, first step, is almanas lulamid, right? And we know well that the subjects that, in fact, we do know well are the ones that we are able to teach to others. If you ever want to learn a subject well, so... Find a way that you will, f- or force yourself somehow, to teach it to someone else. One of the things that I literally do here in these shiurim, on my own podcast, right here, you as a listener, is I learn in order so that I can teach, and then it crystallizes much more in my mind. So that now that I'm teaching it to others, now I'm, I'm having a better grasp on it, and I have to, because if I'm going to teach it to other people, I better have an idea of what I'm talking about. Right, so that's that's Lilmod Amanas Lilamid. And if you're Lilmod Amanas Lilamid, you are, will in fact be given the means of Lilmod for yourself and Lilamid to teach it to others. You'll get a new skill in crystallizing it just for yourself. So, whichever is the real intention, right? You're doing it so that you can learn, you're doing it so that you can teach. 
you end up walking away with both skills, one that you understand it much better, and two, that in fact you can teach it to other people to have that mastery over the subject. But it's also not just that. Because if you learn in order so you can properly perform and do, so that not only can you teach content, but you can lead by example by actually doing the mitzvahs. And that's the higher level, because we know that learning itself is not the ikr, even though Torah is always the ikr, and even though there's Talmud, Torah, Kinegah, Kulam, this is true. Even though that's true, it still has to be partnered with the avoda itself, the la'asos. And when you are, and when you when you're learning, in order to do, so what ultimately happens is that now, because you have done that, you will also be able to teach it better, and you'll be able to understand it better for yourself. There's an old saying, and there are different versions of the saying. One is is, um, attributed to Confucius, and the, the line I have here is, what I hear, I forget, what I see, I remember, what I do, I understand. I think the version that my father used to say at the Seder is that what I see or what I hear, I learn. What I, what I, what I, oh, what is it? What, what I hear, I learn. What I see, I understand. Maybe, and then what I do, I remember. Now, whatever the configuration of the line is, the ikker is that the um, you know the whole point of the seder is not just about hearing and seeing things and so that you can just understand and learn about the subject. But if you want to really remember it, you have to do it. True crystallizing of any material, it it takes place when you actually engage in it. And if you are learning so that you can do, you will be given the means both to learn it and understand it, and the, the means to teach. But more importantly, beyond that, you have the means to do, which is going to strengthen your ability both to learn it yourself, understand it yourself, and to teach it. So it's it's a chutam it's a it's a it's a three um, stranded cord that's not going to be quickly torn apart. It's uh you know it strengthens you learning in order that you can do, and now again you have the skills of being able to understand it, to teach it, and of course to do it. And each of these things strengthens one another. Okay, so now we move on to the next. Kenyan, and that is Mach Kimes Rabbo. Right, the Gemara says that the, the um, it's the line of that where one learns much from his Rebbe, but he learns even more from his friends, and the most he learns from his own Talmidim. And what that means is when you are Mach Kimes Rabbo, what an acquisition, what a treasure. Mach Kimes Rabbo means literally to make your own Rebbe, to make your own teacher wiser. And what that takes is that you have to reach such a level. Maybe and you know and maybe a really wise Rebbe, you know, you wouldn't um his Talmud would not have to reach such a level. But, uh, but theoretically you reach a level where you sharpen your own Rebbe by asking certain kinds of questions and making your Rebbe think about things in a different way. We're not we're not saying that you outsmart the Rebbe. But you make the Rebbe wiser. How do you make the Rebbe wiser? So it's, it's, in fact, very similar to what we just said about teaching a subject so that you could learn it and understand it better, because you have to. 
a good Talmud, someone who has acquired a lot of Torah to the point that he reaches this level, or someone who does this and then acquires more Torah, is someone who's going to be on such a level that he is learning and being medactic, he's making inferences, and truly yearning to understand that which he's being taught, that's the Talmud that keeps his Rebbe on his toes. And that's what sharpens the Rebbe. When the Rebbe feels that sense of pressure, right? Because if, imagine, if you have a very dull student, you have someone who is not very impressive, does not ask clever questions, he doesn't keep you on your toes, and you teaching this individual does nothing, virtually nothing, to strengthen your understanding of the subject matter. Because you could be saying literally anything. It could be true, it could be false, it could be compelling, it could be not. And since this Talmud's not responding to it, so it doesn't really matter. He doesn't take in the information, and you you don't strengthen yourself in your knowledge of the information. And what was accomplished there? But if you have a Talmud who's listening closely to your words, and he asks a good question on what you said, he strengthens and sharpens your understanding of the subject. Because if not, then, then, then you're not going to be able to answer his question. You have to be on your toes. You have to answer his question. You have to be able to come up with a, with, with a resolution. And that's Mach Kimis Rabo. Being the person that makes his Rebbe wiser. The next Kenyan for today is Hamechavein Es Shmuaso. Now, what does that mean? Art School translates this one as delving into what one has learned. Um, I want to be even more medaic to get a more, even more sharp and accurate translation. Being machave means to have intention um, or to be direct about something, to think very clearly and thoroughly about something. And so means that which you have heard. So shmua can refer to tradition, that which you know from tradition. It can be... Um, it, it can be learning in general. And when we talk about being mechavein as shmuaso, so usually when we talk about being mechavein to someone's opinion, or you're mechavein to an answer that Tosfos said, or you're mechavein to a, uh, to a kliyako, or a meshechachma, or to a rashi anchamish. Right, so to be mechavein means I was in line with. And, you know, it's from also the lesson of kavana. And now the question is, what's the difference between this and being Misyashiv Libo in Talmudo? Right? What's the difference between that and Mechavin Eshmuaso? So it could be the connotations are that, you know, if we, so it's not just about being deliberate, right? We said being Misyashiv in Talmudo means you're being deliberate. You're not, you're not just letting it float by, but you're really making an effort to understand what you're learning, right? That, that was Misyashiv Talmudo. Um, you know, the, the idea that you don't just assume that. Um, this Rashi and this Rashba are saying the exact same thing, but you're really being deliberate now you understand them. Being Mechaven es Shmuaso perhaps means that you are, in a sense, becoming one with the content of your learning. Right? To be Mechaven means to, to line up your Kavana, to be able to think in the way of the tradition that you've learned until now. Right, to have a halachic intuition based on what you've learned, where you might not know what your Rebbe would, you know, what your Rebbe said on the matter, but you know what your Rebbe would say, where you know 
what this, you know, what this parish would say. That I know that this, you know, I know that the Ramban or the Kliak or the Meshachachma, they have a way of interpreting Pesukim and Chumash. And I don't know how they interpreted this Pasuk, but I do know that they have this style, and I would be able, adopting their style, maybe I can come to the conclusion of what they would say. Or I would know what kind of answer, what kind of explanation they would give. Being mechaven shmuaso is having your kavana in line, really becoming one with the Torah that you're learning, such that you identify with it, that you can anticipate what the, what, what the, what the das habore is. That, I, I believe, might be the deeper meaning of Mechavin Eshmoasa. And finally, we get to the Kenyan of Torah, which is the final one, at least the final of what Chazal referred to as the 48. And that is V'ha'omer Dover B'Shem Omer, that you repeat some, a saying or a matter in the name of the one who originally said it. The, um, the, the Gemara in Yerushalmi in Shkalim on Daf Zion talks about how the lips of the individual, when you quote them, move in the grave. Here, the Brisa quotes the, um, you know, quotes a source that one who repeats something in the name of one who said it brings Geula, and bringing a proof from Esther, who spoke in the name of Mordechai, about what, what was going on with Big Son and Seresh. Now, there's that, and. My my brother Rav Daniel, um, just tonight he showed me a midrash Tanchuma, which also quotes this idea of of quoting something b'shem amro, and apparently that it might even be a halacha that you might violate a halacha if you don't quote b'shem amro based on a pasuk in Mishle, it's, pro, uh, it's a prohibition. Al tigzal dal ki dalhu, don't steal from the poor for he is poor. The midrash apparently understands this idea of. Miss of of not attributing the quote to someone else when it's it's someone else's idea, so that uh, that that's a form of theft, which uh, I don't I don't know how this might relate to intellectual property, but the idea that that quoting something b'shem omro is 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 an idea that that it brings the geula. What I've heard is that the gulo comes from understanding that it's not from you and being able to attribute it to someone else. Right? The whole point of gulo, when we acknowledge it's not us, you know, we, we can put in our efforts, we can go through the motions, but we're recognizing that everything comes from Hashem. That's what brings the gulo. When we're able to acknowledge someone else, when we're able to give someone else the credit. That, 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 that's, that's a gulo mentality. And in terms of an acquisition for Torah, to truly acquire Torah, and this is one of the great milas of my Rebbe, of Jonas and Sachs, who everything that he quotes has a source. And he'll quote you the marmokum, he'll quote you the page, he will quote you the, the exact source by name and number where it came from. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonder how he, my, my Rebbe hasn't brought the gula yet. But, but the, the, that, if you want to know who has acquired Torah, and what Torah can lead you to. It leads you to the ability to trace everything back to its source. And Rabbi Akiva Tatz once said that in order to truly adequately know anything, to communicate anything, to be an adequate educator, 
Whatever your subject matter is, you have to be able to trace it back to its source. And if you cannot do that, you're not an adequate educator. To be able to, to simplify into its most simple manifestation, go all the way back to its root. What is it that you are teaching? What is the Torah, this, this that you are learning? Where does it come from? If you're opening up a Mishnah, what's the Pasuk that this Mishnah is based off of? What's the, the, the Halacha that you're learning? What's the source of that Halacha? The teaching, the Dvar Torah that you're sharing, where does it come from? And part of Torah is to understand those sources and not just understand them, but to be able to relate them back. Now that we've made it through what Chazal referred to as the 48 Kinyanim, we have an important question that we have to answer. And that is why did, in fact, Chazal only enumerate eight? Sorry, 48. Why didn't Chazal enumerate 49 for the 49 days of Sirius Omer? So in answering this question, my Rebbe, in, in various sikhos addressed this. I found, that I, was, I was rummaging around looking for the Dvar Torah. I couldn't find the audio of it, though the audio I'm sure is out there, um, and you could find it. I found it in one of his Torah. And in his piece titled, Divrei Torah Heim Bebechinas Metziah, that, true, that words of Torah are really in the category of a Metziah, something that you just find. So what does that mean? So he quotes um, from Rav Asher Weiss in the Minchas Asher Parshas Emor, who also quotes um, the Chidushe Harim HaLatorah, the Lev Eliyahu, of, which is from Rav Eliyahu Lopian, and also the Maharal in Nesiva Solom. So he quotes all these individuals who talk about the 48 Kinyanim and why, in fact, there are only 48 Kinyanim, because all of them understand that the 48 Kinyanim Torah actually correspond to the, the, the 49 days of Sirius Omer. So the question is why, in fact, are there only 48 Kinyanim if there are 49 days of Sirius Omer? So among the answers, they suggest that perhaps the idea is an idea of Chazara, right, specifically in the Chidush Arim and Rav Yisrael Salanter, both brought down in the Leva Eliyahu, they, um, and he refers to his prophecy, they both prophesied and had the same explanation, that the day just before, the 49th day is a day where you just feel around and you tie up the loose ends, you look in the nooks and the crannies, see if you missed anything. Really try to get down to the bottom of your 48 kinyanim. Chazer, did you get them all down? Are you missing any? That's what the 49th day is for. And it's the completion of your kinyanim Torah. However, they suggest another suggestion based on the Gemara in Nida, on Daf Ayin, Amid Aleph, which says that a person, what can a person do to be able to become wise? Make sure you learn in yeshiva for a lot, and you increase your yeshiva time, and you, you minimize your business time. Many people try that, and it didn't work. And they responded, okay, well, uh, and the, this this conversation took place between the Anshe Alexandria and Rabbi Shubin Hanania. And this is what Rabbi Shubin Hanania told them. Pray to the one who Chachma belongs to. Pray to Hashem. Based on the Gemara and Brachas and Samach Gimel and What's the point? The point is, you have to engage in Torah. You have to kill yourself over it. You have to do the Hishtadlis. 
But if you think by any means that you are the one who has solely acquired all of this for yourself, you are missing something. To become a wise in Torah, if you want Torah, you have to daven for it. We daven v'har of Hashem elokeinu. We ask Hashem, we pray to Hashem, that Hashem makes acquire the Torah and to acquire it with a sweetness. Tefillah is the way. When it comes to Torah, someone says that yigati umatsasi, then you believe him. If he says, I toiled and I found, then you can believe him. But what is that lashon? I toiled and I found? You should say, I toiled and I acquired. And the answer is no. It's a metziah. You can do all the, you can engage in all the efforts, all the toil, all the amelas, but the true acquisition of Torah only happens because Hashem wills it to happen. And the 49th step on the rung of, of acquiring the Torah does not exist because Hashem has to take you over the edge. Hashem is the one that's going to take you from that 48th rung all the way to 50. And that, that, that's the sum of everything. If we learn one thing from our engagement in the Torah, in our, in our mission to acquire the Torah, it's that we need the Rebbe Shalom to grant it to us. With all the work that we put in, Hashem is the one that's going to make us successful. And that, that's what Torah has to lead us to, that Hashem is the be-all and all. And with that, we should be zoha to acquire the Torah and to acquire all the treasures that come with the Torah, to rectify all of our midos from chesed all the way down to malchus. And with that, Bezras Hashem, we should be makabal the Torah, the sweetness of Torah, the, the engagement in Torah, and Bezras Hashem, the fulfillment of Torah. I hope you have a wonderful Yom Tov, a wonderful Shavuos, and stay tuned for a Shavuos special. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us here at the database.